This is the Creative Agency Podcast, where we explore the strategies, aspirations, methods, and mistakes behind growing and maintaining a successful creative agency. Hello out there, and welcome to another episode of the Creative Agency Podcast. Before we get started, I would like to remind everybody of the Grow Your Agency Slack group. Uh, We have over 150 agency owners participating in this great group. It's free to join, and the only catch is that you have to share your agency knowledge and participate in the conversation so we can all learn together. So just go to creativeagencypodcast.com. There's a link to join, and it's that simple. All right. Today, we're going to talk about agency finances with Ryan Watson, co-founder of Upsourced, an accounting agency that focuses on digital agencies. Welcome to the show, Ryan. Thanks for having me. Excited to be here. Of course. Um, So I'm super excited about this topic and your expertise. We're going to be talking about hourly versus recurring billing and some general financial topics that are really vital um, for agencies to master. But first, I thought I'd start out with how you got into how you started this agency, how you got into accounting. Yeah, well, um, so the the firm, oh boy, how I, how I got into accounting is probably not a very interesting story, but how the firm <laughs> came to be <laughs> was, uh, so about six or seven years ago, uh, I, I started my career at Deloitte, big four accounting firm. Myself, another guy from Deloitte, and another friend, we kind of had this vision for a, uh, a different blueprint for an accounting firm. Um, I think to this point, uh, Deloitte, just like pretty much every other accounting firm, focused pretty much on doing two things, audit and tax. It was all reactive after the fact, mostly compliance-oriented services. And frankly, the reason behind that was because up until you know, like a decade ago, in order to do any other kind of services, you really had to be within the four walls of the client or business you were servicing. So this is really all you could do mm-hmm. from an outsourced perspective. But you know, again, seven years ago, we're seeing technology that is starting to evolve that, w- that would allow us to to create a different kind of, of firm, really putting the relationship sort of at the forefront. And, and instead of providing reactive after the fact compliance work, instead focus on ongoing, proactive, strategic advice, really becoming the accounting department, the bookkeeper, the controller, the CFO uh, for our clients. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and this technology allowing us to do that kind of work without having to actually be physically on premise at any one of our clients. So, so being able to work with clients anywhere at any time. And frankly, to some degree, even automating, let's say 70 to 80% of the you know manual data entry that normally went into accounting work, freeing us up to focus more on this strategic you know, advice um, and, and being able to do that at a margin that makes sense. So you know, that was kind of the big picture at the, in the beginning, you know, day one, I don't necessarily know that our vision was agencies, but our vision was if we're going to be really strategic and helpful, and we're going to serve as the CFO partner to our clients, we certainly can't do that for businesses of all stripes. We have to be very specific about who we, we help because we can't just say we're experts. We actually have to be them. Right. And so, uh, you know, early days we had, we had a few, uh, creative agency clients and digital agency clients. And we just really gravitated to those businesses. We just love the energy. We love the creatives. We really dug, dug just the business model. I mean, you know, I think in a lot of ways, our business sits at the sort of intersection between technology and service. And I think most of our agency clients do sit in exactly the same place. We, we really speak the same language and, and we kind of get the model. So uh, I think early on, we just kind of knew, hey, this is, we got to be specific to who we service. And, and these are going to be the people that we're going to service. And so, you know, we've been off to the races 
more or less ever since. That's awesome. Uh, you know, it's also it, it's also very apropos because I feel like a lot of agencies are always trying to figure out, you know, how to niche down, how to, you know, sort of really focus so that, uh, you know, either on a certain sort of kind of client or industry or on a certain particular kind of service. Yep. And uh, you guys seem to have done that very well and just focusing on agencies. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it, that, yep, that's exactly. I think service in general, that's kind of the trend. It's sort of like, you know, in, in, uh, in, in accounting, we say things like veterinarians is not niche enough. We really, you know, large animal veterinarians, that's the kind of specificity that you need to target with your niche. And, and I, I think that's a bit of an exaggeration, but I'd say this is a conversation we have with our clients as much as we have with ourselves, right? Our, our, how, how specialized we get. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, in your experience, are there issues now that you've been working with agencies for a while that come up very often for creative agencies? Yeah. Yes. I mean, there's a lot. I'd say, um, you know, big picture, maybe sort of two, two groups of, of things that we kind of jump into. One is just big picture, um, I, I, profitability and like the unit economics of profitability. So I would say w when we work with a lot of clients, um, it, it is it is not surprising, but sometimes surprising how little visibility that they've got into just the underlying drivers of their business and the profitability of their business. So things like utilization, rate per hour, margins at a per client level. And so, you know, understanding truly like the levers of the business mm -hmm. um, is, is just kind of number one, right? So those KPIs are certainly going to uh, change from agency to agency and business line to business line. And, and frankly, the, the orientation of the business, whether you're in a growth mode or you're in a sort of succession planning mode, but th those pieces, um, kind of number one, I'd say number two, you know, obviously the other big grouping of, of issues that we, we encounter, of course, we're an accounting firm. So tax is one of them. Mm -hmm. And, and there's, there's a lot that are, that are interesting for agencies and specific for agencies, but one that I'll mention, um, to answer your question, because it's timely and topical, um, is this, you know, for folks that are paying attention, the, the Tax Reform Act uh, created this um, pass-through entity deduction, this 20% pass-through entity deduction where, you know, a lot of our certainly non-corporation agency owners are organized as pass-through entities. And there are carve-outs for certain, or I should say exclusions for certain businesses, but a special, a special treatment provided to um, service businesses providing "Quote unquote engineering uh, as a as a service offering." So this this is a an interesting conversation that I'd say if you're not currently having with your CPA, you should start to have with your CPA specifically if you're a pass through entity, uh, because there may be uh, there certainly this pass through deduction will be very important for all pass through agency businesses, and whether or not you can take full advantage of that might depend on your ability to to classify some or all of your agency services under this broad, not very well-defined umbrella of engineering services. Interesting. What's up? Pass through your entity? Oh, sorry. Yeah. Yeah. So good, good question. I, um, so basically, you know, I, I'm talking like entity type, right? So if I'm a business, I could be organized, uh, uh, as, as an LLC, meaning I, I could be taxed as a partnership. I could be taxed as a, an S corp, um, or I could be taxed as a, a mm -hmm. C corporation, right? So, so I've got a variety of, of entity types that at my disposal, a partnership or an LLC taxes a partnership, uh, and an S corp are flow through entities, meaning they don't pay taxes at the business level. 
the income flows through to the partners and then the partners pay personal income tax on their distributive share. So those would classify as pass-through entities, which whereas a, a just a traditional C corporation would not. They would just pay taxes. So those LLCs, taxes a partnership, or uh, S corporations would fall under this um, pass-through entity deduction and, and might qualify for this 20% deduction, which is, which is really interesting and, and obviously brand new. Wow. Well, see, I've learned something already. We are, our agency, Murmur Creative, is a pass-through entity because we're an LLC. <laughs> there you go. Exactly. Yeah. So, um, so this is a conversation. I mean, you know, you certainly have, it'll be, it would be effective for, you know, the year beginning 1-1-2018. So when you're filing your taxes in April of 19, uh, or I guess in the case of a pass-through, you'd be in March, but still, uh, this is a relevant conversation. So. Excellent. So there you go. Um, I, I'm curious, what about profit profitability? Um, in your experience, are agencies generally profitable? Um, is there a profit margin that agencies should be shooting for? Yeah, I mean, like big picture, they are. I mean, agencies, service-based businesses generally are um, some of the most, if not the most profitable, like just going to business school, looking at business models and comparing them, you know, side by side, uh, agencies, service-based businesses are among the most profitable for sure. Um, as far as like, uh, and, and frankly, that's really going to depend. Cause I mean, you know, as we, if we go back to this niching conversation, we're really painting with a broad brush when we use the word agency, right? I think we all know that the kinds of services that an agency can provide can vary significantly, right? Mm -hmm. Like an ad agency where they're doing a lot of buys, uh, on behalf of their, uh, on behalf of their client, they're actually, you know, going out and procuring digital or, or print media, those margins are going to look a little thinner than, uh, you know, a, a, a business or an agency doing, you know, highly specialized, um, maybe application or web development work. So certainly it, it, it varies even within the agency world, but just as a general rule, uh, yes, very profitable, uh, in terms of like, what is target profitability and what do we, what do we think, uh, feels good, looks good. So many schools of thought on that. Um, I think internally we use, um, 20% as just a super quick and dirty, uh, threshold for us. So, mm -hmm. uh, if we, you know, if we're in the 20% or greater, we're feeling pretty good. I mean, I'd say, uh, that is not meant, I, I think a lot of folks sort of in, in, in the, it's not academic, but in the, in the content world around agencies, you, you see this 20% almost as like, Hey, anything above that is just magically great. I'll tell you, we have, we have clients that do better. And in some cases much better. I mean, I think depending on, and, and maybe we'll talk about this later, but depending on pricing strategies, margins of, or net margins of 35 to 40% are certainly attainable. Um, and, and I think it, again, it depends a little bit on your, on your line and, and to some degree how you run the business. But anyways, I'd say if you're 20% or above, you're feeling pretty good. Yeah. Um, and that's kind of what we like to manage to with our clients. Awesome. What are some key metrics that agencies should be paying attention to? Uh, yeah, well, and again, totally will depend, right? So there is some element of metrics that may be very specific to the line of work that, um, you know, a, an agency might do. But I, again, I think if I'm just talking in super broad strokes, um, and I'm thinking of, of profit leaning metrics, not operationally or, or HR or people and culture leaning mm -hmm. metrics, if I'm just talking about financial KPIs, you know, again, we, we, we typically start with, sort of like three main groups of KPIs. So the first is 
is uh, utilization, right? So just the the uh, the measurement of the free capacity uh, in the agency, and the idea being, mm-hmm. you know, on utilization. That's it's not necessarily the answer is not necessarily a hundred. The closer to hundred percent you get is better, right? I, managing to one hundred percent utilization is not reasonable. So there's depending on your sort of approach to growth and the, the, the specialty of your folks, you might look at. And frankly, utilization is not necessarily something that you would apply uniformly across every kind of employee. So depending on the seniority, some of your more senior folks, you would target lower utilization targets, like maybe fifty percent utilization makes sense for a partner with a sales quota, whereas you know a, a a junior associate, you might target an 80 to 90% utilization. But regardless, you know, of, of what point of view you adopt with regard to utilization, that is a metric certainly to manage to. Now we use, uh, we talk about sort of billable hours a lot. Is there a difference between like billable versus utilization? Yeah. I mean, not necessarily. No. So when I'm, so, so when I'm thinking of utilization, uh, it's, it's, it's sort of billable, divided by, uh, or billable or build, right. Divided by, uh, standard hours, right. So be meaning like uh, 40 or uh, whatever. Right. Um, so yeah, I think we're talking same thing. Okay, cool. Yep. Um, so that's one, uh, you know, another of course is, is just rate per hour. And so just understanding both at a, uh, at a, at a company or firm level, as well as at a client level, uh, what is the, what is the achieved rate per hour? And then, um, gross margin at a, again, firm level, as well as at a per client level. And so, a cocktail of those three metrics kind of gets you the 80 for 20 around just overall health of the agency, as well as, you know, helps you start to understand some of the things or the clients, things you might be doing or clients you might be working with that you might want to lean a little bit harder into and some things that might be less profitable or, or less efficient that you might want to lean away from. So I'd say those are kind of the big ones. The the flip side, uh, the other kind of group of KPIs that I think are, are, are helpful kind of revolve around the makeup of, of the client sort of contracts, right? So um, the idea, and this will depend a little bit on the pricing model and the way in which you work with, with clients, but the, the, uh, some of these metrics being sort of like, okay, what is the average contract value? Of, of if you're if you're doing project based work and similarly what is the sort of average revenue per year idea being are you normally just doing one and done projects with clients or are you working on a sort of annuity stream of variety of projects with that same client so how how recurring or how much of a relationship does that look like versus you know one off I do a project and then I leave and so kind of like repurchase or retention again it's a agencies aren't perfectly recurring revenue businesses necessarily but to the extent you can think about a re, a client as an account that you are growing versus a one and done project you're doing what does that growth in the account look like and then finally kind of concentration right so you know if you're a, a, a two million dollar agency do you have big bombs out there big risks where maybe 50 percent of your revenue would evaporate if you lost one account um and right. if that is true how can we manage away from some of those risky concentrations mm-hmm. yeah that's kind of an interesting challenge that we have at murmur is that like most of our projects i wouldn't say they're completely one and done but you know a client will do a big website project or big branding by project with us and then maybe six months later they'll come back with for a much smaller 
job or, you know, another six months later, they'll come back for something else. Yep. And then we might not hear from them for a couple of years. So we have a lot, I mean, a lot of our businesses, new people who come to us for a big project, and then we don't do that much with them after that. Totally. And, and, and I mean, I'd say that's more common than not common, right? I mean, again, mm -hmm. these are episodic businesses. They're not recurring revenue businesses. And so by no means am I suggesting that that's a bad thing. Um, mm -hmm. what I am suggesting is, so one, it does inform to some degree, um, you know, the, the your sales process, right? So if, if, you know, I, as I think about just generally speaking, what does it cost me to go get a customer? What, what does it take to go get a customer and, and what are they worth to me, uh, from a lifetime perspective, obviously a mm -hmm. customer who buys 10 projects, uh, of 50,000 is worth over the lifetime more than a customer who buys one $50,000 project. Right. And that changes the way I think about what I'm willing to do to get that customer and, and how do I service them sort of long-term. And, and frankly, like what is the, what is the client success or, or account director kind of infrastructure around that business? So in a lot <laughs> of ways, it just kind of informs, I mean, obviously if you, if you offer the kind of, you know, as long as it's non-core, it's not non-core or non-strategic, it's, it's just, is a fact of business. It is cheaper to retain a customer than it is to acquire a new one. So if there are ways to continue to engage and earn revenue, even if on a, you know, even if in a, at a sort of smaller percentage than the upfront chunk, if there are opportunities to continue to earn revenue on existing customers, that, that's, that's preferable to not, right? So right. all of this really, I mean, you know, you can kind of tell that, uh, maybe you can, maybe you can't, but most of nothing is black and white. I mean, w with regard to, to running a business or thinking about the finance strategy, it's not a, here's a recipe and go follow it. All of these are kind of informative to determining what your strategy is. So it's not necessarily good or bad that it's episodic or recurring, but it does change the way you staff your business. It does change the way you think about growth and the way you think about sales. And frankly, these are just the kind of the conversation we have with clients, right? So this is what we talk about up front. This is what we're talking about on a monthly basis. And we're just using this information to inform what it is we should do, not necessarily to apply to sort of this, uh, you know, this, this blueprint of success, because that really just doesn't exist. Yeah, yeah. Are there mistakes that you see? I mean, I know, like from our experience, and, and from talking to other agencies, a lot of agencies start running a business with no, no prior business knowledge, you know, and that includes accounting and taxes and everything else. Um, are, are there mistakes that you see agencies making over and over again? <sighs> Yeah, that's a great question. You know, I, hmm, I, are there are there like a set of repetitive mistakes? You know, not necessarily. I mean, I, I'd say, uh, well, actually, now that I think about this out loud, there are a couple things. So first, just like abandoning record keeping altogether. So, you know, this is a common thing that you that folks have probably heard before, but I'd say the, the most common challenge when we're working with new businesses is just an awful lot of kind of catch up diagnostic like work, right? That maybe, you know, you hadn't engaged some folks early on to kind of help with the, uh, the, the high, the hygiene of the business and the record keeping. So it becomes a bit of a, a challenge to just try to unearth what, that, what was happening over the last couple of years. So that's obviously a mistake. So don't abdicate, uh, just general, like that's it, not just finances, that's HR, that's making sure people are signing I nines and, and not, you know, and, and, um, 
and IP assignments and those sorts of things uh, that you have, you're doing payroll correctly, that you're treating employees and contractors. Like you just have some, you know, uh, some infrastructure, right? You're, 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 and, and right. it's okay if you don't know those things, just get help. You can find affordable help at every stage of a business. Um, I'd say one thing, actually thinking back to this pass-through entity uh, conversation that we had, you know, often we'll see, uh, well, I shouldn't say often, but occasionally we'll see LLCs that are taxed as partnerships um, tr- try to give their uh, owners salary, um, as like W2 mm-hmm. salary. That's actually not a thing. Owners in an LLC or in a partnership don't receive salary. They get distributions and it just comes there. They're, they don't get a W2. It, it comes on a K1. Um, and so that's not a huge thing to unwind, but it is a thing that you don't want to mess up and it's some work and money if you do it wrong. So again, as you organize yeah. the business, just making sure you're getting the right advice. Um, another kind of compliancy thing that people sometimes forget to do is just 1099. So if you're working with vendors, uh, most agencies don't have this problem because they're receiving 1099. So they kind of understand the way the whole 1099 thing works, but, um, you know, making certain again, that you're just ticking the boxes and, and it's not, it's really and truly the universe of things that you don't know, but need to know as a new business owner is not that big. It's not this overwhelming thing that you'd never learn. Uh, it's, 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 it's easy enough so long as you get the right advice kind of early on to help you outline what those things are. Gotcha. Gotcha. Um, one of the things that I deal with a lot is pricing. And I I feel like pricing is sort of one of the most difficult things about a service-based business. Um, Oh yeah. That's big in accounting too. It's like the thing that people want to talk about the most. (laughs) (laughs) Do you, do you advocate for any particular pricing methods or do you have a pricing philosophy? Good, good question. I mean, no, so no, not like, um, not uniformly. I don't, I don't suggest that, uh, I guess I think it really, I think it really depends. I mean, so if I were to talk about pricing methodologies that exist to service-based businesses, obviously probably the, the oldest, you know, most well-established being just the hourly based pricing. Um, then there's kind of this idea of fixed pricing, right? So Mm -hmm. I'm going to apply a fixed fee to what it is I do, which is the sort of very close cousin, often misunderstood cousin to value pricing, which often value pricing takes the form of a fixed either project-based or monthly recurring fee. But the principles between the two are a little bit different. I mean, a fixed fee is still cost-based and a value is really truly, I'm deriving the price based on the value that my customer is getting and not on the effort it's going to take me to do it. Right. Um, and so so value being kind of another. And then, you know, lesser, obviously, retainer-based models uh, can be successful. There are performance-based models, particularly for folks who are doing like actual you know, marketing and media have more opportunity to do a performance-based pricing than say a, a you know, a, a web development shop or something like that. Mm-hmm. Equity-based pricing, uh, you know, taking, taking options, warrants, equity. And so anyways, that's kind of the universe of pricing. I wouldn't say, I mean, look, philosophically, I think uh, to the extent that you can be successful with a value-based price, uh, I think you're going to drive higher margins than if you're going to apply a cost-based approach cost-based approaches would be an hourly or a fixed fee mm-hmm. now whether you you know you can apply a concept of value to to probably all of these pricing models in one way or the other but but keeping in mind this i'd say my philosophy around pricing is just that the price 
of a service or a good is independent of the cost of a good. They're just unrelated. They don't matter. It really doesn't matter if it costs you a lot of time or money to do a thing, if the market is just not willing to pay that much for it. And on the flip side, it really doesn't matter if it's very, very easy for you to do this, if the market values it very much and is willing to pay a lot for it. There's a reason. It may be that you're just the only person on the planet who can do this thing. So just because it happens to be easy for you doesn't mean you should charge less for it. Um, and, and, and vice versa. So, so keeping in mind that, that price is independent of cost and your price should be driven by the value you create and not the hours you put in. But how you actually apply that mechanically on a proposal or an engagement, I think you got a lot of flexibility and I don't have strong beliefs in one being better than the other. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I have heard a lot of sort of negative things about hourly pricing. And I think that some of that comes from the idea that, you know, you pay your employees for eight hours a day, but they might only be productive for six hours a day. So how do you account for that in hourly pricing? Because you're only getting paid. Yeah. You only get paid for six hours of the eight hour employees day. <laughs> you know. Sure. And I mean, that kind of goes, I mean, you know, that, that kind of goes back to this, the utilization idea, right? So you're describing a sort of six eighths or 75% utilization, which is just part, it's just baked in, it's baked into the price, it's baked into your business model, you shouldn't assume, you know, 100% utilization, however you charge. I will say hourly pricing gets a hourly price. And and this is true uh, in the agency world, it's true in the accounting world, there is this like, crusade against the idea of hourly pricing. I'd say, um, I think, I think hourly pricing gets a little bit of a bad rap. I, I think if, you know, taken in the context of choosing the hourly rate in a value context and not in a cost cost plus, like we pay our employee this many dollars per hour, so we're going to mark it up by three times or four times or whatever the whatever you decide is the multiple, but, but rather, you know, what is it worth? I think in that context, hourly makes a lot of sense. Um, you know, more common is the, uh, is the project, you know, the fixed fee, whether it's, a, it's one chunk or it's uh, or if you're in a uh, you know an ongoing um, recurring. So if I'm doing like uh, outsource social media management or or things that look kind of consistent on a month over month basis, um, you know doing that on a recurring basis, I'd say. I think that's great, like particularly if you happen to be in a recurring service model where you can charge a monthly recurring rate. That's great, um, but but whether it's it's fixed on a one time amount or it's fixed on a monthly amount, I'd say that only works well when the scope risk is relatively low and your ability to apply a repeatable process is pretty high. Uh, in those situations, you can extract some pretty good value by putting a fixed fee on it and tying that to value. But if the scoping risk or like the estimation risk is really high, or it's a highly specialized sort of one-time kind of a thing, it's just you know, ultimately the difference between fixing the fee or charging on an hourly rate is just a di- it's just a difference between who assumes the risk that you're wrong. You know what I mean? So like. Right. Uh, on a project base, the bit, the for the agency assumes 100% of the risk that they're wrong in the estimation, but 100% of the benefit if they, you know, overestimated. And and so you win by the risk and you lose by the risk. On an hourly model, um, the, the client assumes the risk, right? So that you know, if you go over, they pay more money. And so 
it's 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 just an assumption of risk and if you if you have a high degree of confidence in what it's going to take you to do it then i'd say it's probably more effective and efficient for you to assume the risk and if you don't then you're probably better off just applying an hourly rate to it um so yeah. so I, we don't demonize hourly rates uh at our firm we do we employ a combination of uh, value and hourly pricing ourselves I just don't think there's a one size fits all model. I think it's really determined by what the work you're doing. Yeah. Yeah. The, w- what we have set up right now is is for if it's going to be just a few hours, we do hourly pricing. If it's going to be a few days, we do day pricing. If it's going to be a big project, we do, you know, sort of a fixed bid. Um, so it's kind of, yeah, a little bit of a mixture. And I think, in, you know, I think an important, uh, an important thing to kind of, to be clear about is even if you do a fit, I mean, and, and that's probably the most common, no question. I think even if you do a fixed bid to say, okay, it's, it's whatever it is, it's a hundred thousand dollars and it's going to be a few months or what, whatever that, whatever that thing looks like. Um, just being very clear about the parameters, right? Being explicit about what that $100,000 scope entails and having very consistent, constant, open dialogue with the customer about how you're tracking against that scope. And as scope, scope creep sort of enters in, which it inevitably does, or additional requests come up, having really frank, open, cordial, but honest conversations about additional billing. Um, and so as long as you kind of keep the door and you set the expectations early on, uh, then that works. But if, if, if you don't and you get to the end and you realize, well, our client asked for five different things that weren't included in the scope, but we did them anyways, but we didn't talk about it. It becomes a very uncomfortable conversation. Now you've done the work, yeah. uh, and, and you've got none of the leverage, uh, and, and they had this expectation that it would be one price. And now you're going to come with this surprise bill of another price. I mean, that's a really easy way to lose, you know, long-term relationships. So however you price, just making sure you're, yeah. you're, it's an open, it's a swinging door and you're having that conversation consistently. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's so important. And it's so, I mean, as much as I think we've prepared for, you know, every conceivable kind of scope creep, something new always comes up and be like, Oh, no one's ever asked us that thing that way before. (laughs) Of course. I know. It's always like, and it's true of our clients. It's even true of us. You always think, okay, well now we're going to bake that contingency into the process. And so now we're good. The process is perfect. And then uh, another thing comes up. It's like, it's this just never ending cycle of, it's just this, there's this myth that like, oh, we're going to, we're going to eventually get to the point where we've just totally nailed this and we've covered every contingency. But the reality is that's just not possible, right? So you just have to get the 80 for 20 down. You got to have a healthy converse, a healthy working relationship to solve the remaining 20 um uh another question for you um what about raising prices do you have any sort of advice for for agencies that are looking to raise their prices and like how to handle you know um sort of breaking the news to their current clients yeah well i mean i'd say uh the easiest, so yeah, the easiest way for this, and my, 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 I say best advice is, is setting the expectation that this is going to be an ongoing conversation right out of the gate, right? So, um, you know, we start to, we try to set some of that expectation in our own, uh, engagement, 
excuse me, in our own engagement letters, we encourage our, our clients to either have that conversation or to put that in their own uh, proposals or engagement letters. So as long as, I mean, again, everything is about setting expectations. So if you can set the expectation that, look, here's how we're viewing your business and the value that we create, but here are the levers of that value over time, right? So again, in this, this, Totally depends. Some of it is just we're doing the same thing, but inflation is occurring, and so our prices are just going to naturally rise. And in other cases, you know, you might be as an agency working with uh, smaller businesses, and so the the work that you have is is going to provide a, a a scaling amount of value over time as their entity scales over time. And so, just setting that expectation, like, look, here's how we think about pricing as you're at this stage, but when you enter stage two, here's kind of how we think about the value and how we can be helpful. Obviously, it helps as as, you know, it, it helps when your value increases with your price. So that may be something that changes on your client's side that just makes your service more valuable, like they get bigger. Or it might be something about, you know, your services specifically. So if, it, and again, it's, there's just a trillion ways for this to happen. But, you know, if, if again, you're working with businesses that are scaling and evolving, you might have different packages that meet different life sizes or life cycles of their business. And so however you do it, the point being, uh, set the expectation early that this is going to be a conversation you're going to have. It just, you know, and, and then secondly, tie it to value, right? Just tie it. Hey, look, it's not about, it's not about cost. It's not about, it's just, Hey, we've been able to do this. And, and the other piece is it's always nice to be able to do it from the position of strength, right? So, you know, if you're, if you're doing great work for these folks and they're happy with you, the price increase conversation is almost always going to be received well. Um, and so, um, I'd say again, yeah, tie it to value, uh, signal up front. Um, and, and, and generally, you know, in our own business and in our clients' business, you know, we like to build that stuff up in our head to be much scarier than it ultimately ends up being. I think most people expect that prices are not going to remain constant as services increase or as time goes on. And so they're expecting it. If you're setting the expectations, you're expecting it. Um, so just make that part of the, make that part of the process and it'll feel natural. Awesome. Yeah, we actually, um, about a year ago, we went from charging $20 a month for hosting website hosting to $135 a month for a much improved service. We did actually, we planned out like a year of messaging and sort of support before we actually made the change. And it worked out pretty well. I mean, there were a few people got grumpy and stuff, but the thing was, is that anybody who didn't want the expensive hosting that had more features, we like offered to help them find a solution that was like with another hosting company. So we, we gave everybody lot, lots of options. Totally. And I think the other thing that we kind of all know intuitively about our customers or clients, but maybe don't like to say out loud, uh, is that the, the ones that are likely to be the most upset, that are likely the most price sensitive are probably not our best clients and probably not the ones that we love working with the most. And the ones that are, that are just, they really get it. They see the value. They love working with us. They can't imagine running their business without us. Those are the folks that aren't going to blink. And so, and you know, the, the, you may, 
in, you know, instead of it being a trade-off where uh, some are unhappy and that's a bummer, but some are okay and that's good, it actually actually be a win-win, right? That like you'll you'll increase your revenue base for the folks that you love working with the most, and you may have some unregretted attrition uh, for the clients that maybe you in your in your heart of hearts you know that you shouldn't be focusing on. They might be legacy. They might be any number. Of, there might be any number of reasons why you're you're still working with them, but uh, you're getting to the place that you probably should have gotten to anyways. And, and so it's one win. Yeah, no, it was, it was really great for us. I mean, I think that we did have those clients who just either they, either they didn't need us anymore or they couldn't afford us anymore. And they were just kind of like, we're going to go the other way. And it was kind of a friendly handshake. And we we're like, phew, phew that wasn't that yeah. bad. <laughs> And, and I love that you and, and, and we, we encourage this with our clients who I love that you had like a solution ready for them, right? Like we're not leaving you out in the lurch. We, we, you're, a valued part of, you're a valued part of our story. Like you are part of the reason we are here today and we are not abandoning you. But at the same time, this is what's important to us. Just like you, you, know, you are facing similar things in your own business. And so here's a partner that's probably more appropriate. If you want to, we'll, we're happy to make the introduction. And totally. I think everybody understands that. So – what what are your thoughts? And I'm sure you know, obviously, somewhat biased because of the the agency that you run. But um, at what point does you know does an agency need an a uh, um, an accounting person or an accounting partner? Like, um, you know, when should people start thinking seriously about that? Like, do, do you see many agencies that have like a dedicated accountant working on staff? Yeah, good question. I mean. You're right. I have a bias about this, but I, I'm going to try to drop my bias at the door. <laughs> and 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 uh, so I, to answer your first question, I mean, certainly plenty of agencies have fully dedicated accounting departments, right? I mean, if you're if you're you know 50 million or above, you, you you've got some complexity there where maybe that makes some sense. But I'd say for the most part, that's not a common thing that we see. I mean, obviously we don't we often don't see with our clients, but naturally because they're, they've hired us, right? So we are the accounting department for our clients and, and therefore working with us sort of, uh, and the idea, I mean, the idea is you either hire somebody at a, you know, an, a, an annual salary to sort of be a jack of all trades, uh, but master of none, or you spend a fraction of that money and you get kind of a leverage model. This is the whole agencies understand this because they do the same thing, right? This is, we all get it, right? So you get, you get the fractional amount of hours for the, the, the amount of expertise that you need. And frankly, I think that, that need for some fractional amount of expertise for your particular business, I, I think that's, I think that's necessary day one. Yeah. Now, do you necessarily need a full-time, you know, outsourced accounting firm to do your bookkeeping and to be your CFO, you know, while you're doing this as a nights and weekends project to try to get off the ground and, and quit your full-time job? Certainly not. I, I don't think that's necessary at all. And I think be best to find some folks, um, and we do this for people all the time that can just kind of give you 15 to 30 minutes of free advice to get you off the ground. And then that's probably all you need for, you know, a period of time. I'd say when, when you start having W2 employees, you start to enter a, there's a few like, you know, tr trigger points where the complexity starts to really kind of require some outside help. And the extent to which you have that outside help is really going to be dictated by your own personal competence and comfort with some of these things. But, but, you know, this, the time you start hiring W2 folks is, is when you start thinking seriously about, uh, you know, getting, getting some outside, some outside gotcha. help. And how, how do you guys sort of insert yourself into um, an agency's um, workflow and how, how does that look? 
Yeah, good, good question. Yeah, so um, you know what what we do, as I mentioned, we we are the back office, right? We we are the outsourced. Uh, we we kind of do services in sort of three buckets. First is is accounting operations, and and that's certainly the most foundational. And and that's really just you know when we work with a new agency, the, the first step is just to understand. I mean, first of all, we'll do a strategy session all day. Just get under the hood. Why you know what what keeps you up at night? What what motivated you to do this? What are your hopes and dreams? Just the whole thing. So we really. So not only do we understand the the like the individual levers of your business and we can be helpful strategically, but also we we know like the guiding like what is your risk tolerance and we know what's driving you and that frankly colors the kind of advice we offer substantially more than mm-hmm. you might think. So we, we just got to understand how our businesses tick. But once we kind of get that stuff off to the side, it's it's just starting with the processes, right? It's just, it's what, how, what are, what are the processes that you currently go through to pay your employees, to invoice clients, to pay bills, um, to, you know, do you have like, you know, banks or outside stakeholders that need financial information? Basically, we just kind of look at the whole landscape and then where appropriate or necessary, which often is most of the places, we will implement a suite of cloud-based software to, streamline and in many cases automate that whole back mm-hmm. office so that we can manage it virtually and that we can extricate the business owner to the extent that they're involved anyways from having to worry about that stuff right so as a as a as one example of what i mean by that we use a tool uh, called bill.com which manages basically the bill payment process. So we set up a process where bills are flowing through by email automatically to a tool called bill.com. Bill.com is a tool that has OCR technology that's just going to scan the the bill. It's going to pull off the metadata like the date and the vendor and the amount. It's going to create an entry that syncs to the accounting suite that we use. And basically what it's going to do is we say, hey, every Wednesday, pull out your smartphone and and open up the bill.com app and you're going to have five bills waiting for your approval. Click, you know, approve, approve, approve. And then bill.com electronically pays those either by ACH or if necessary, it'll bill.com as a service will physically print out a check, stuff in an envelope and mail it. So we've taken what can be a pretty painful time consuming manual process and made it totally cloud-based. And, and from the business's perspective, all they've got to do is open up their phone for 30 seconds uh, and, and review what's to be paid and just click approve. And then everything else is taken care of. So we basically take that same thought process and principled approach to basically all of the kind of workflows so that we've got this, you know, again, suite of tools that are operating in tandem um, to, again, automate the back office. Awesome. And so, um, so we manage that. Then we meet with our clients on a monthly basis to review the financials and, and, and mostly to think strategically about how results are comparing to our expectations, our projections, our KPI dashboard, and ideally helping us drive decisions to achieve whatever that target is, whether it's growth or it's retirement or whatever it is. That's how we insert ourselves. So we are the accounting departments uh, for our clients. And, and we have very large clients where we are very involved. We've got dedicated folks and we've got small clients who are, you know, uh, under seven figures in revenue. And, and uh, you know, that, that is, that's a more limited arrangement. So we certainly scale across the stack. But um, that's sort of in principle how we work with all of our clients. You mentioned Bill.com. Are there any other um, accounting tools that you would recommend for agencies? Yes. Um, there's a bunch. Uh, you're right. I did mention bill.com, which we like very much for bill payment. Uh, we kind of have like a favorite, uh, of, and kind of all the workflow or work streams we use. Um, 
Expensify for uh, employee reimbursements. So certainly not as important for smaller agencies, but folks that have a bunch of employees who might be spending uh, on travel and entertainment or meals on the client's behalf. Expensify is a great app uh, that sort of uh, facilitates the workflow and syncs to the accounting system um, to approve and reimburse for expenses. Um, there's an awful lot of like time tracking, client and project management slash invoicing tools. Um, we happen to really like harvest, which is, uh, probably the more simplistic on the like spectrum of complexity, probably on the more simplistic side. We just love it. Uh, we use it for our own business. We use it for most of our clients. Uh, we like the uh, harvest forecast, which is a kind of add on, which is, uh, useful for, um, uh, staffing and capacity models. Um, and then, and then for, um, like the accounting specifically, like just the the record keeping and bookkeeping, uh, we use a tool called Xero, uh, Xero, uh-huh. uh, which is web based. It's a competitor to QuickBooks Online. Um, we've actually we're we're a, a solely Xero shop at the moment, um, and and we love that product a lot. What is uh, I've been hearing about Xero for a while now. Is it a is it a pain in the butt to switch from uh, QuickBooks to Xero? No, it's not. In fact, um, they do it for free. So there's a there's a few. So there's one uh, company specifically called Jet Convert uh, that has a partnership with Zero, where you upload your QuickBooks Desktop, QuickBooks Online, Peachtree. I think they'll do MYOB, which is not really a thing in the states, but abroad that's a thing. Uh, anyways, a bunch of files. If you just literally upload it, it'll turn around a fully converted file in like minutes. So um, wow. the conversion is easy, and 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 you know for folks who convert but are worried about you know bringing their data off of zero, it's just as easy. So that piece is is really not like the data conversion is is because we have a lot of clients who are frankly software agnostic but they've heard of zero they like the idea they're interested in working with us and they they trust our opinion and we recommend zero but but are concerned about the data piece that's you know once we talk about it that's usually not an issue and frankly then just kind of learning and using the software i'd say is part of the reason we like it is it's much more intuitive like it's 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 kind of a it's software designed for people who are not accountants, right? Like you look on the dashboard, it instead of saying like accounts receivable and accounts payable and accounting based terms, it's it's it uses language like bills I have to pay and invoices I'm waiting on. You know what I mean? It's like <laughs> it's it's just it's conversational and it's it's easy to understand. So we 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 feel confident sending our agency owners who maybe aren't accounting degreed folks into the software to get reports because it's much easier for them to navigate than other tools. So, anyways, we love it. Um, um, shameless plug for zero. I'm not being paid to say it, but we're, you know, we're big fans. We're, we're big fans. <laughs> That's great. Um, so I always ask my guests for three takeaways. Um, what, what are three tips that you'd offer um, an agency trying to uh, optimize their finances? Okay, uh, good question. Three. Um, okay, so for I'd say one, um, you know, super cliched uh, uh, quote that I say. <laughs> Sometimes, uh, which is, and I don't even know who said. It. I think maybe it's Peter Drucker, but anyways, uh, what gets measured gets managed. So the idea being, whatever it is, uh, choose two to three really core KPIs that inform your specific goals and your business lines, and measure the hell out of them and and manage to them ruthlessly. Right? You don't necessarily have to pick like thirty KPIs that you have to update. At that point, you spend more time measure like 
calculating KPIs than you do interpreting them and managing to them. So pick a few, being simple about it, but be purposeful about what those are and, and be and be open about them. Communicate them with your team, live by them, you know, make them company values, whatever that is, really kind of live those three out. Um, so that'd be kind of one. Um, I'd say the other thing, uh, number two would be make a concerted effort even schedule time on your calendar if you have to, to devote time to what I would call the important but not urgent. Mm-hmm. In like, especially project-based businesses, we, we as an accounting firm fall, ba- fall prey to this too. There's always a fire. Like it's, it's so easy to say, man, we've got a lot going on with clients right now, but as soon as we get on the other side of this, we're gonna have a ton of time to really focus on this process or the way that we onboard these kind of people or, or, or to, to think about profitability in this way. And like, I think we all know there is no getting on the other side of that. It's just a new fire with a new client. So the important but not urgent just is always kind of getting booted around. So you just have to be very purposeful about putting aside time to focus on those. So for me, it's it's Thursday morning from 7 to like 9.30 a.m. I don't do any client work. I just sit down and I work on the business and not in the business. And so however that looks, I mean, that works for me. It doesn't necessarily work for everybody. But if you don't do it, you'll never, it'll never get done. Yeah. Um, so that's kind of number two. And then Number three, I think I've said this once or twice already, just get help. Like if there's anything that, that I've personally learned from being a business owner, it's that it's, it's not to be afraid to admit when I don't know something and feel free to raise a hand and get help. That doesn't necessarily mean go hire an expensive lawyer or an expensive accountant, an expensive whomever to do all your things for you. Uh, that may not be appropriate at your stage, but, um, Find people that you can that have been there and done it, and who know better than you. Don't be afraid to ask for the help, um, and and you'll certainly de-risk a lot of decisions or a lot of mistakes that we all kind of go through. So learn from other people's mistakes. That's awesome. Those are great great pieces of advice. Thank you. Well, Brian, it was awesome having you on the show. Um, lots of great advice, and I encourage everyone who's listening to um, check out Upsourced online. Um, is it upsourced.com? It's uh, upsourcedaccounting.com. Upsourced being upsourced accounting. past tense, uh, fun naming thing. Uh, but yeah, upsourcedaccounting.com. Cool. Awesome. Well, thanks so much for coming on the show. Hey, thank you so much for having me. It's been a lot of fun. You've been listening to the Creative Agency Podcast with your host, Chris Bolton. When he's not podcasting or being a dad, he's the digital strategy director at Murmur Creative in Portland, Oregon. Be sure to visit us online at creativeagencypodcast.com.